It's the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's Speed of Jesus Christ, welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God on this Thursday, June the 30th, 2022, in the month dedicated to the most sacred heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. Going to be a great show today. In fact, we're going to have a very fascinating conversation with Dr. Nathaniel Jensen. He has a book called Traced. Human DNA's Big Surprise. I actually went through this book via an audio book, and it is it is truly fascinating. And uh, what does human DNA have to tell us about our origins as a people? Just how connected are we in spite of the fact of the color of our skin, the shape of our eyelids, or the texture of our hair? I wonder. And more importantly... Does the biblical narrative of the genealogies have any correlation, any parallel, any match whatsoever to what the studies of DNA tell us? Well, we're going to find out today with Dr. Nathaniel Jensen at 35 past the hour. But guess who else is on the program today? Uh, we have Father Frank Pavone coming up at 15 past the hour to talk about a post-Roe v. Wade fight for the pro-life cause. That's coming up. And in the next hour, at the top of the next hour, if you can join us, we'd love to have you. David L. Gray is going to be our guest. We're going to talk about what went down in the Vatican yesterday. Nancy Pelosi, uh, the foremost politician of pro-abortion lobby, you know, the pro-death cult leader, she received Holy Communion at the Vatican at a mass presided over by the Pope. So what's going on there? And uh, not to mention there was, of course, a new encyclical release yesterday. Is it just more of these anti-TLM, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, conversation going on here? We're going to find out with David L. Gray coming up in the top of the next hour. Please join us if you can, of course. Hey, and guess what? While you were, uh, you know, paying record high gas prices, food prices, inflation at a 40-year high, while you were doing all of that, guess what your elected officials were doing yesterday? Well, 89 of the House Democrats introduced a, a bill, a resolution titled Transgender Bill Rights. Yeah, that's right. So while you were having to face the world bravely all on your own, they were trying to make sure that uh, men who uh, want to claim to be something else could go into bathrooms, play female sports, and all the rest. Isn't democracy great sometimes? Well, there's that. Hey, Army recruitment is down 23% amid their mandates, and Army tosses requirement for high school diploma. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You know, I, I served in the Marine Corps, so it's always kind of funny when the Army has got lower standards than the United States Marine Corps. So, well, there's that and a lot more on the show today. Good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Good morning, Joe. And, uh... I don't have a high school diploma. Well, then you are perfectly suited to serve in the Army. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're just going to draft us all. Uh, I certainly hope not. And, you know, there, that reminds me, there, were, there was an attempt to put women on the draft. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. want my daughters drafted. Mm, I don't think women should be drafted either. Nope. That's Negative. horrible. It's a terrible idea. Negative. Speaking of being drafted, Adrian Fonseca is here on the ones and twos. Good morning to Adrian. Oh, what am I being drafted to? Uh, to producing the show. Oh. Yes. Well, You're here I compelled. am. Praise be to God. You're being compelled. I'm here against my will. I am blinking <laughs> twice to uh, ask for help. <laughs> Please. Now, you, you, you read the Pope's document, right? 
I read the Pope's document. Yes, it was sixty-five um, pages. No, no, it's not that long. Is it not that long? I no, thought it was no. that long. It's it's long, but it's not it's not sixty-five pages. Long. Okay, it's like eighteen pages. It's not oh, that bad. What and are you it's talking uh, about like that? six point. Like five. it's like sixty paragraphs. JP two <laughs> yeah, would not, not even begin the intro with only eighteen pages. Well, <laughs> see, the problem is this is uh, it's not even an encyclical. This is just a letter that, that Pope Francis like, I'm going to just release a letter. It's going to be 20 pages. Dear, dear diary. Dear, yeah, dear <laughs> diary. 20 pages later. Yeah, so it's not even an encyclical, and it's already like, it's like 60 paragraphs long. But, yeah. you know, it would be interesting to get to have a conversation about it. Yeah, for sure. And then, of course, the uh, lot of scandal with Nancy Pelosi receiving communion after being banned and excommunicated by her bishop back home. Right, yeah, she was, uh, well, she wasn't excommunicated, but she was banned from communion. Yeah. So, I mean, it is an interesting point. And I saw a number of different positions on that whole topic. I think it'll be interesting. I have a couple questions about about the people's take on that particular issue. Yeah, for sure. So all of that coming up this hour, so much to get into. Let's pray and let's begin. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most sweet Jesus, that no one who has had recourse to thy sacred heart implored its help, or sought its mercy was ever abandoned. Encouraged with confidence, O tenderest of hearts, we present ourselves before thee crushed beneath the weight of our sins. In our misery, O sacred heart of Jesus, despise not our simple prayers, but mercifully grant our requests. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now your headlines with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. Thanks for tuning into Catholic Drive Time. Today is Thursday, June 30th. And here are your headlines this morning. Reuters reports new U.S. sanctions target Russian gold imports and defense industry. The United States on Tuesday imposed sanctions on more than 100 targets and banned new imports of Russian gold, acting on commitments made by the group of seven leaders this week to further punish Russia over its invasion of Ukraine. The U.S. Treasury Department said it imposed the sanctions on 70 entities, many of which are said to be critical to Russia's defense industrial base in an effort to hinder Russia's ability to develop and deploy weapons and technology. The Hill reports U.S. and Iran nuclear talks in Qatar without deal. Indirect talks between the U.S. and Iran to revive the 2015 nuclear deal and ended in Qatar on Wednesday without any break breakthroughs, according to the Iranian reports. The meetings in Doha aim to bring Washington and Tehran back to the terms of the so-called Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action the International Accord that put strict limits on Iran's nuclear program while relieving sanctions on the country. Sources familiar with the talks told the Iranian news agency that Iran uh, officials raised concern that the U.S. would not deliver enough sanctions in relief, uh, sanctions relief rather, in return for restrictions on Iran's nuclear program. The Washington Examiner reports Scottish leaders call for independence referendum. Maybe they should do this on July 4th. Scotland's leader announced plans for a referendum next year on independence from the United Kingdom. Sturgeon, a proponent of Scottish independence, has pushed for another independence vote in the aftermath of the 2016 Brexit vote. During the 2016 referendum, Britain as a whole voted to leave the European Union, but Scotland voted to remain. And Justin News reports FBI's response to attacks on pregnancy clinics draws scrutiny. U.S. Senator Chuck Rasley from Iowa sent a letter to FBI Director Chris Wray calling for a briefing on the issue and urging Wray to ensure that these violent attacks are recognized by the FBI and are being properly investigated for what they are, cases of abortion-related violent extremism. 
The FBI is investigating a series of attacks and threats targeting pregnancy resource centers and faith-based institutions across the country. Continuing, the FBI said, The FBI takes all threats seriously and we will continue to work closely with law enforcement partners and will remain vigilant to protect our communities. We would like to remind members of the public that if they observe anything suspicious or have any information about potential threats, to report it directly to law enforcement immediately and call their local FBI field office or submit a tip to tips.fbi.gov. And those are your headline news this morning. God love you. The saint of the day is Blessed Raymond Lowell. Born in 1232, Lowell was born in Palma into a wealthy family of Barcelona patrons <clears throat> who had come to the kingdom of Majorca in 1229 with the conquering armies of James I of Aragon. In 1257, Lowell married Blanca Picani, with whom he had two children, Dominique and Magdalena. Although he had formed a family, he lived what would later be called a licentious and worldly life of a troubadour. Raymond Woods was still a young man, and Sinchal, to the king of Majorca, was very given to composing worthless songs and poems and to doing other licentious things. One night, he was sitting beside his bed, about to compose and write in his vulgar tongue a song to a lady whom he loved with a foolish love. And as he began to write this song, he looked to his right, and he saw our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, as suspended in air. The vision came to Lowell five times in all and inspired him in three intentions. One, to give up his soul for the sake of God's love and honor. Two, to convert the Saracens to Christianity. And three, to write the best book in the world against the errors of the unbelievers. Following his visions, he sold his possessions on the model of St. Francis of Assisi and set out on pilgrimage to the shrines of St. Mary of Racamador, St. James, and other places never to come back to his family and profession. When he returned to Majorca, he purchased a Muslim slave in order to learn Arabic from him. For the next nine years until 1274, he engaged in study and contemplation and relative solitude. He read exclusively in both Latin and Arabic, learning both Christian and Muslim theological and philosophical thought. Between 1271 and 1274, Lowell wrote his first works, a compendium of the Muslim thinker Al-Ghazali, logic in the book of contemplation of God, a lengthy guide to finding truth through contemplation. In 1274, while staying at a hermitage in Poig de Randa, the, the form of the great book Lowell was to write was finally given to him through divine revelation, a complex system that he named his Ars, or art, which would become the motivation behind most of his life's efforts. In 1314, at the age of 82, Lowell traveled again to Turns, possibly prompted by a correspondence between King James II of Aragon and Al-Lihani, the Hasifid Caliph, indicating that the Caliph wished to convert to Christianity. His last work is dated December 1315 in Tunes. The circumstance of his death remains unknown, though some argue that he was stoned to death by Muslims. He probably died sometimes between then and March 1316, either in Tunes or on the ship on the return voyage, or in Majorca upon his return. Blessed Raymond Lowell, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. After entering a boat, Jesus made the crossing and came into his own town. 
and there people brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Courage, child, your sins are forgiven. At that, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Jesus knew what they were thinking and said, Why do you harbor evil thoughts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your stretcher, and go home. He rose and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were struck with awe and glorified God, and who had given such authority to men. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. St. Chrysostom would say, quote, He compels his enemies to confess the equality of his honor with the Father. Going on to say, the scribes, in their desire to spread an ill report of him against their will, made that which was done be more widely known. Christ using their envy to make known the miracle, close quote, St. Chrysostom. It is a powerful reality, and I love this about the Gospels and, and uh, all the traps that were laid for him, uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, along the way. And, and every single one, he is the master of, of, the, uh, of the trap. It is just so amazing to watch. Rabunus would say, quote, his rising up is the drawing off the soul from carnal lusts. His taking up his bed is the rising or the raising the flesh from earthly desires to spiritual pleasures. His going to his house is his returning to paradise or to internal watchfulness of himself against sin. Close quote. Rabanus. Christologists would say, uh, of how great power with God must a man's own faith be, when that of others here avail to heal a man both within and without. The paralytic hears his pardon pronounced, in silence uttering no thanks, for he was more anxious for the cure of his body than his soul. Christ, therefore, with good reason, accepts the faith of those that bear him, rather than his own hardness of heart. Close quote, Christologus. I've always often thought about this when thinking about say infant baptism right uh, as parents we bring our children to the church to the ministers of christ the king to be baptized to become christians and members of the body of christ it is not the faith of the child it's the faith of the parents that is spoken of there it is a powerful reality and let us give god praise for the sacrament of confession and reconciliation that our lord gives us a foretaste of here in this passage today oh happy day that we can confess and be reunited to our Lord and Savior. We'll be right back. Father Frank Ravone is coming up next. Protestants like to use James 2, 10 through 11 against the Catholic doctrine of mortal and venial sin because James says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. But James can't be denying the doctrine of mortal and venial sin because in 1.15 he affirms it, saying that sin in its beginning stages doesn't bring death, venial sin, whereas it does in its more mature stages, mortal sin. The point James is making in James 2.10-11 is that we must keep all the commandments in order to avoid incurring the guilt of transgressing the law. We can't say to the Lord on Judgment Day, Lord, I only broke one commandment but kept the other nine. 
So James 2, 10 through 11 is simply a misfire in trying to take down the Catholic belief of mortal and venial sin. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium? Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the University of Dallas offers an exceptional liberal arts education, preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for the world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Coming up at 35 past the hour, we're going to have a conversation about what DNA, the study, the science of DNA, can tell us about our origins, about the history of not only people, the world itself. Dr. Nathaniel Jensen will be on to talk about his book, Traced Human DNA's Big Surprise. So stick around for that. But joining us right now via Zoom chat is Father Frank Pavone from Priest for Life. Good morning to you, Father. Good morning. How are you doing today? Praise be to God. I am alive. That counts. How are you? Yes, uh, likewise. <laughs> and doing very, very happy uh, in these days, of course, because of this tremendous victory that the pro-life movement has been working and praying for for 50 years. Amen to that. You know, um, let me just say this. Yesterday I saw a video published by the Babylon Bee. It was a yeah. mock uh, presser of the devil sort of answering questions from the press about, you know, how he's feeling now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. And, you know, and I was laughing because it was, you know, well-crafted comedy. But at the same time, I felt pretty guilty about laughing because it hits very close to home. It's actually... Very sad to uh, to realize how many people have fought vigorously in order to make sure babies can't survive the womb. Yes, uh, you know we we have to put. I always say we have to get abortion out of the abstract. And uh, you know this is not just a, a, a difference of ideas. There are people who are apostles of abortion, vigorously pushing, concretely planning, and acting in such a way that there would be more abortions more easily it's a lust for death and that only comes from from the from the devil it's a lust for death it's born out of despair and we see it unfortunately going on in uh in the actions in congress of the, the democrats keep trying to push this uh most radical abortion bill that's ever been seen in congress they're not going to get it passed and especially not after these upcoming elections but, I mean, why would they even want that? And uh, and yet we see it right before our eyes. Yeah, it is mind-boggling. Uh, I mean, look at the just the response to this. Now, I will say, um, I thought this response was going to be worse than it's been, but it's not been mm -hmm. easy. It's just not been as bad as I thought it was going to be. That's what, true. What are your yeah. thoughts on the, on the response from the hard left on Roe? Well, the response indicates, uh, first of all, that they're not interested in the democratic process or they choose not to understand it. Because, look, the, 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 the Dobbs decision does not take a policy position on abortion. The Dobbs decision says, look, we made a mistake at the Supreme Court when we took sides in Roe and in Casey. And the, the way we took sides in the abortion debate was that we told the people they could not protect their unborn babies up until viability at least 
But now we're not going to take sides anymore because the policy arguments are strong on both sides. The court said we nine unelected justices are not equipped to resolve this issue for the American people. We have 50 states. States are different one from another in their values. We are going to back away from abortion policymaking and we're going to leave it to the to the legislators and the, and the people who elect them. Now, if the other side understood that, and if they also believed their own rhetoric that most of the people are with them, then they would just relax and say to their people, hey, folks, don't worry, we've got this. Just go to your legislators and make the, and I put this in quotations, make the persuasive case, okay, about why we should be able to dismember and decapitate babies. And then we're going to be okay because, look, New Jersey, Colorado recently passed really extreme abortion laws. We've got New York, California and many other states. Um, and we'll just keep doing this. But you see, they don't do that because they don't believe their own rhetoric, because they don't have a persuasive case and because they don't care about the will of the people. They just care about their own will, their own agenda that they want the Supreme Court to keep imposing on us just like they've done for the last 50 years. Well, okay, so what about all of this talk and rhetoric about stacking the court now? I mean, they're, they're facing a, a midterm election, and even the, even the left, the, the news on the left is saying it's not going to be a, a good turnout for, for the Democrats, and still right. they're talking about stacking the court. Uh, is yeah. that a real threat, or is this just rhetoric? No, it, 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 it's, it's rhetoric because, you know, this has been tried before, uh, it met with uh, strong opposition even under Biden when he had a, a committee look into this because you know why it meets opposition from the American people. It's not uh, it's not really uh, primarily a reflection of ideology. It's a reflection of the fact that the American people do believe in having an impartial judiciary. If a Democrat-controlled Congress and White House were to expand the number of justices on the court and put their own kind of people in there. Well, then Republicans could do so again when they're in power. And now what has the Supreme Court become? It has become simply another political branch of government. Amy Coney Barrett said it best when she was sworn in. She said, look, a senator, he's got a senator, a congressman. They've got to get out there and let us know their policy positions. They've got to advocate for those policy positions. It's on that that they're going to get elected. But a Supreme Court justice has to studiously do the opposite, has to put their policy positions into the realm of irrelevance. That's where they wear, why they wear black robes. And they've got to judge according to the Constitution and the laws that are already written. And, 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 and to stack the court, now all of us, then you don't need the court. Then you might as well just let the Congress decide because uh, it's just an extension of the political makeup of, uh, of, of Congress and the White House. Perhaps that's what they want. Perhaps that's their goal. Yeah, it is. Well, that's right, because they want to... Uh, uh, they, they, they want to do that. They want to just control with political power the ability to to push their ideology. But the but the but you notice they want to do it through the court because they're unaccountable. Uh, you know the great thing about the Dobbs case is you know you think about it now it's putting it in the hands of the elected representatives. Well, we elect them, we can unelect them, we can lobby them, we can sit face to face and persuade them. You can't do that with a Supreme Court justice. So the inaccessibility, if you will, of the Supreme Court makes the American people feel they're not in control of the policies under which they and their families have to live. 
What Dobbs has done, and we really, our fellow citizens need to understand this, it's put the power back in the hands of the people. And the reason that the left doesn't want that is because they know that the people don't support their radical policies. Were you at all surprised with Chief Justice Roberts siding uh, with uh, the outcome here? Well, not with his uh, support of the upholding of the Mississippi law, because we thought that he would do that, and he did. You could, you know, in the oral arguments of the court, he was he was expressing a, a, a pretty strong support for the uh, idea that, hey, 15 weeks, you know what, that's long enough for a person to so-called choose. Uh, but then, of course, as, as you know, he did not agree with the other five in, in actually reversing Roe and Casey. He's very, very uh, much of the notion that the court should not do any more than it absolutely has to do to resolve a case. But there's a strong argument to say, you know, it really had to do that. Uh, to resolve this, because, you know, if you say, well, right to abortion still stands, but we're going to uphold a law at 15 weeks, well, then very, very soon the court would have a case asking about what about 12 weeks? What about six weeks? You know, and, 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 and the other justices said, you know what? It's time for the court to get out of the abortion policy business and let the people resolve it. So, no, I, I, I Justice Roberts pretty much did what, uh, what I expected him to do. Now, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas sort of opened up the, the box here a little bit, the Pandora's box. Yeah. He's like, well, if this law was based on bad, faulty judgment, well, there's yeah. others that we should re readdress to include Obergefeld, uh, even a case on contraception. How do you feel about that? Yeah, we have to make two distinctions here. First of all, uh, the court was very clear, even in Roe and Casey, and, and, and Dobbs highlighted it, that the reason why this reversal does not affect those other positions, which some call rights, uh, is because abortion is a unique act. The court has acknowledged it's inherently different from rights about whom you're going to marry or whether you use contraception or whether or how you educate your children, because it's only abortion that involves the purposeful ending of a life. So it's the ending of that second life that makes this in a unique category. Now, uh, what Justice Thomas is saying is that the so-called right to abortion came about under this substantive due process, as it's called. Fourteenth uh, Amendment, you can't deprive a person of life, liberty, property without due process. So, and, and the court has said over the years, it's not just process. There are certain rights you have substantively that are in that amendment. And Justice Thomas doesn't like that idea. He says, look, if, if a right is not clearly in the Constitution or clearly in our, our history uh, of American uh, legal tradition, well, then stop making up rights under substantive due process. He was the only one that said this in this case. I've, I've actually talked to him about this personally. And, um, but, you know, if somebody puts something in a, in a minority opinion, in a concurring opinion, as he did here, and, you know, a future court could pick that up. I think constitutionally, it's worth examining more closely what is this substantive due process and how far does it go? Because that's where, you know, a person can look at liberty and, the, and Dobbs' decision warns about this. The majority warns about this. If you, if you start interpreting liberty whatever way you want and you don't root it in the history of the country, the risk is the same risk we were talking about before, that it's the policy preferences of the justices that prevail rather than the will of the American people. So I, I just think it's something that we, we need to carefully look at in future cases. Now, I, I just from a personal perspective, 
how do you feel? I mean, all of these decades, <laughs> blood, sweat, and tears. Put, so many in the pro-life cause have put in decades of blood, sweat, and tears, and here you are. Does it feel surreal? Yes, exactly. I'm, 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 I'm pinching myself. It, it's like I, I was 1976 when I got involved in the pro-life movement. I went to the third annual March for Life. Wow. And years and years and years of saying Roe v. Wade has got to go, you know. And now we realize, oh, my goodness, it's gone. <laughs> um, you know, it puts a lot of obligation on us all. Uh, it, it's not, it, you know, people have to be careful not to think, okay, well, the pro-life movement has reached its goal. No, actually, our work has to intensify now. But we are delighted at this victory. But the reason it intensifies is precisely, as we've been explaining, that the Supreme Court now has opened up a big door. It's taken a big roadblock out of the road. And now the work we've all always done, and we'll continue doing very much the same work, of passing pro-life legislation, now it's actually going to take effect instead of being struck down by courts. So it's time to work even harder. It's time for us to get to know our state legislators face-to-face. And, 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 and let's push the, the protection of the unborn and their moms and, and their families further than we ever have before. I feel ex- exultant and I feel grateful, by the way, for all those leaders and activists who've gone on before us. We mm. think of Nelson Kay, uh, Bernard Nathanson, whom I knew, Jane Roe of Roe v. Wade, whom I led into the Catholic Church. Uh, so many activists, known and unknown, on whose shoulders we stand and whose work now we're privileged to advance. So not much is changing at, at uh, Priest for Life then? No, no, it's really not. People have to understand that. I mean, we've been helping people find alternatives to abortion. That continues. Helping people heal from abortion. That continues. Educating people about the unborn. That goes on just as it did before. And making uh, pro-life laws and electing pro-life candidates, important midterm coming up, all of that is the same. Our uh, work gets easier now because, again, it'll have its effect. All right. Praise be to God, Father Frank Pavone from Priest for Life. Thank you for your time today. God bless you and God love you. We're going to go to a break. We're going to be right back. We have more breaking news and stories. Rudy Carlos and Dr. Jensen and his book, Linked, What DNA Has to Tell Us About Our Origins. That's coming up right after this break. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard people say that Christianity is barbaric? that it arose in ignorance. Well, G.K. Chesterton says that as a matter of historical fact, it didn't. It arose in the most civilized period the world has ever seen. It arose precisely at the intersection of three great civilizations, Athens, Rome, and Jerusalem. It combined the philosophy of the first two with the faith of the third. So what's the real reason the opponents of Christianity do not believe it? It's not because it's barbaric and ignorant. It's not even because it's civilized and sophisticated. It's because, as Chesterton says, opponents of Christianity would believe anything except Christianity. Want more than a minute? Visit us at Chesterton.org. So the neighbor who we've spoken to, you know, just in greeting, but who I don't believe has ever spoken back to us, out of the blue uh, surprised us. One day we were getting the kids in the car for Mass and asked us if we were going to Mass. I was dumbstruck for about probably 10 seconds. It was great that we had an opportunity to share about our parish and that we were Catholic. Turned out she was Catholic too, and she assumed we were because of the bumper sticker on our car. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. 
Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And now more headlines. LifeSite reports Pelosi receives Holy Communion at Mass presided over by Pope Francis. Speaker of the House Representative Nancy Pelosi has reportedly received Holy Communion at a Mass presided over by Pope Francis himself, despite being banned from receiving Holy Communion by her local ordinary, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione. The Democrat leader flew to Rome for a special meeting with Pope Francis, at which she received a blessing before attending Mass in St. Peter's Basilica. The Daily Wire reports Texas plans new checkpoints after dozens of dead migrants found in suspected smuggler truck. Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced a new security measure in a news conference on Wednesday. Authorities found 46 people dead in a tractor trailer on Monday evening, and the number of dead has since risen to 51. The discovery is believed to be the deadliest smuggling event in American history. Texas officials declined to give exact locations of where the new checkpoints would be located. Abbott said he wanted to surprise the cartels and the smugglers. DPS Director Steve McCraw told reporters that the new stations would be located along smuggling corridors. And the Epic Times reports DOJ has a VA suspend all benefits of January 6th prisoner. Just when the wife of one incarcerated January 6th prisoner believed things couldn't get worse, the Department of Veteran Affairs informed her that they are going to suspend all of her husband's benefits. According to United States Representative Louis Gomert from Texas, he says, quote, This is what you have when vindictive leftists get in charge of major parts of the government, unquote. In an unsigned letter from the VA dated on June 13th and appearing to originate from the Director Regional Office, Angel and Kenneth Harrelson were notified that the administration received information from the United States Department of Justice that Kenneth had been indicted and charged with seditious conspiracy. Kenneth is currently being held in the Correctional Treatment Facility in Southeast Washington and has been incarcerated without a trial and without being convicted of any crime for over 475 days. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. Praise be to God in all things. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. We appreciate that. By the way, today is the day I send out the harassing email into your inbox, um, bugging you relentlessly. Well, actually, I just give you some goodies. That's all. I just I try to give more than I take, and every week I find something cool to send your way in your inbox. And you can receive that by joining the Catholic Drive Time Insider email list on our website, grnonline.com forward slash cdt. Sign up today. You're going to get this goodie in your inbox later this afternoon. But uh, joining us right now via phone is Dr. Nathaniel Jeanson. He has a book called Traced, Human DNA's Big Surprise. Good morning to you, Dr. Jeanson. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Praise be to Jesus. We're glad you're here. Uh, I went through your book. I went through the audio book form uh, when I was on a big road trip. Utterly fascinated by this book. Um, truly interesting. And I, I wish we had hours to dive into the heavy details unfortunately we only have 20 minutes so let's get started let me get the uh sort of the the housekeeping out of the way here what is dna and how does dna actually like when you as a scientist when you look at this how does it actually tell us any information about our past yes yeah, so dna is basically the substance of heredity that part of us that encodes hair color eye color height all sorts of physical features and the way we can tell our past is, at least what I, what I try to show in the book Traced, is the uh, the main tool I use is the male inherited DNA, the Y chromosome. 
and this Y chromosome, male-inherited DNA, changes every generation. It gets copied in sperm cells from, from dad to son here. It gets copied imperfectly. And so this accumulation of genetic mistakes, of errors, is something we can identify and track with time. And so this becomes then a marker, a surrogate marker, for a family tree. We can track who we come from and how long ago we came from a certain person. So you can compare my DNA to yours, count the number of differences, and say, okay, approximately this many generations ago, we last shared a common ancestor. And so comparing that sort of data from men around the globe allows us to reconstruct the family tree for all of humanity around the globe. And so what's the error factor in, in DNA research? Like how much of a margin are we talking about? I'd say it all depends on the type of DNA you're looking at. There's some compartments, like the, the female inherited DNA, the mitochondrial DNA, where the, the error rate is like, or, or I should say the uncertainty is, is 25%. So you could compare my mitochondrial DNA to your mitochondrial DNA. So, so even though it's just ladies who pass it on, men and women both have it. And we might say, okay, you have a common ancestor with me, 500 AD approximately, but it could have been 500 BC or 1500 AD. And so this huge variety makes it almost impossible to do any sort of detailed historical analysis. Whereas the Y chromosome, you could compare mine to yours and say, okay, we have a common ancestor in AD 500 plus or minus maybe 100 years, 200 years, much more precise and say, okay, it corresponds to this historical era, these historical peoples. It's, it's a very fine detail, not quite as detailed as written historical records, but it's, it's a pretty good approximation. Now, I, I want to get to the, one of the big issues uh, in regards to looking at DNA, the history of origins of peoples and time. Uh, I just saw an article yesterday out of the SciTech Daily. The headline said, human ancestor fossils in the, quote, cradle of mankind, close quote, may be more than a million years older than thought. I mean, this is very typical. We see this all the time. It's taught in every grade school, high school, college. Uh, we, we're all trained to think of time in a huge scale. But what does DNA tell us and the study of DNA tell us about the scale of time? I'd say if you look in human DNA in particular, and we could expand this to other species, the rate at which DNA changes is far too fast to be consistent with an ancient time scale that we learn in school, hundreds of thousands of years for humans, millions of years for other species. It's just mutating too quickly. The converse of that, or the flip side of that, it's, it's not just an anti, hey, this, this typical time scale doesn't work, but it fits very closely with what I'd say the Bible talks about in terms of human history, about the history of the whole universe. It all goes back just a few thousand years. You can see that, and in, in, so the main focus, again, of the book is the male inherited DNA, the Y chromosome. You can trace that back to Noah about 4,500 years ago to his three sons. You can see multiple independent lines of evidence pointing towards the exact biblical anthropology, and I have another book that I wrote a few, few years earlier to this called Replacing Darwin, where I look at the genetic data from more than just humans, other species, and they all show this same consistent pattern. The rate of change in DNA is way too fast for the mainstream time scale, yet when you say, okay, what should we expect to see in light of the biblical time scale, then you see the numbers line up exactly. Well, this was another part of the book that I, I really appreciated that you, you did, and that was you sort of addressed some of these major issues. Like, for instance, why doesn't, uh, why then wouldn't an archaeologist agree with these findings? Or why wouldn't a geologist, why do geologists look at the earth and say, oh, look, it, it, it literally and, and very clearly looks so old. Why would DNA tell a different story than some of those other disciplines? 
Yes, I'd say there's there's two parts to this answer. There's the different ways these different fields do their analyses, and then there's some underlying common assumptions that kind of blow up the whole debate. So if you look at, and this is drawing on what my geology and astronomy and, and paleontology colleagues have told me, if you look at how the long-age timescales are calculated, the methods that they use, the assumptions that they use in geology, astronomy, and so on, the key assumption in all of this is that the present is the key to the past. If we, for example, measure the rate today at which the Colorado River erodes the Grand Canyon, very slow rate, and then if you assume that slow rate of erosion has been consistent all throughout the Grand Canyon's history, you get a very ancient age for the origin of the Grand Canyon. All that changes, of course, if you say, well, how, how would that calculation uh, differ if we, for example, allowed for the possibility of a global flood or some sort of large catastrophe in which, by definition, the present rates of change would be different from the rates of change in the past, in which the a global flood, let's say, or some sort of large catastrophe would dramatically accelerate the rate of change. That, of course, then leads to a very different conclusion. So there's this, there's this backstory of underlying assumptions that have undergirded the mainstream timescale for a very long time and in which the mainstream community has insisted on basically from the outset excluding the possibility of a global flood or some sort of catastrophic change. Now you apply those same assumptions to genetics where we can measure the rate of change in DNA today compared father's DNA to son's DNA, mother's DNA to daughter's DNA. How fast or slow does it change? In this case, the change is very quick. And now the very same community that has for decades insisted that the present rates of change are the key to the past now says, well, we can't do that in genetics because it gives us a very different answer than what we're seeing in geology and astronomy. There must have been a, a slower rate of change in times past. So there's a little bit of an inconsistency here that I think is is key to understanding how to, how to resolve these various fields. Mm. I would say that I think if you say, well, what if we just, from the outset, allow for the possibility of changing rates of DNA or of geologic change? Which one makes the most sense? I'd say from the outset, young Earth creationists have had, for a long time, a very clear catastrophe at hand that could play a role in geology, whereas the same thing doesn't necessarily apply to DNA. So I would say the young Earth creationists have a valid reason to say, hey, what if there was a different rate of change in geology whereas there's no such a priori reason to invoke something like that in genetics. Mm. Then I look at the mainstream community and say, okay, give me a rational, consistent, coherent reason why one assumption works in this case but doesn't work in the other. Otherwise, it looks just sort of arbitrary, willy-nilly. And I, don't, I, I have yet to hear a good explanation for why the mainstream community can invoke different rates of change in different fields other than just, well, because we've got this preconceived conclusion. Yeah, I've always felt also the sort of the, uh, the idea that carbon-14 uh, absorption doesn't change, no matter how many comets destroy the Earth and kill all the dinosaurs. Uh, very interesting. But uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back. Dr. Nathaniel Jeanson is our guest. His book is called Traced Human DNA's Big Surprise. On the other side of this break, we're going to continue our conversation. And I will share with you what I found, one of the most fascinating aspects of the book. And I'll ask him what he thought. All that coming up next. 
Instead of fighting the crowds, isn't it so much easier to hop online and do your shopping in the comfort of your own home? Did you know that you can help the Guadalupe Radio Network when you shop online? All you need to do is shop on Amazon Smile and 0.5% of your purchase goes to the GRN. Just go to AmazonSmile.com and select La Promesa Foundation as your nonprofit of choice. La Promesa is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio. It's that simple to give a little extra help to the Guadalupe Radio Network. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question. Is the very contemporary and popular idea that a faith alone salvation, which occurs by repenting of sins and asking Jesus in one's heart, sufficient enough to warrant heaven upon death? No, it sure is not. You see, the 21st century evangelical says, just follow the Romans road, which is four verses snatched out of the book of Romans. And when followed, heaven's promised. That, my friends, is presumptuous. This concept dumbs down the holy value of salvation. So here's your toolbox for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the gospels, nor the epistles, nor the apostolic and early church fathers ever wrote anything like this mechanical approach to obtaining heaven. Number two, the marriage experience. After wrongdoing and temporary departure from your family, does a simple one-time, hey, I'm sorry, honey, bring you back into the family? No. Thirdly, the Catholic Church teaches water baptism, loving God and neighbor, which is displayed by consistent acts of charity while maintaining a perseverant hope of heaven is the surest way to God's eternal presence. This is Steve Gleason with Catholic Questions Live. Praise be to Jesus. Welcome back. To Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClendon. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. We're talking about a book called Traced, Human DNA's Big Surprise. Dr. Nathaniel Jeanson is the author and our guest. And I find it very, very fascinating. And I, w- I wonder, dear listener, if you've, if you've ever considered such arguments. And you can share your thoughts with us directly in the second half of the next hour when we do our after show, which you can find linked up all of the places where we are live streaming at grnonline.com forward slash cdt if you can't join us by radio uh but uh, welcome back to the show dr jeanson let me ask you a question what was the most fascinating thing that you discovered during your research and preparing for this book so if i would ask you so to answer your question the one thing that i found uh uh, most fascinating are these three to, to sort of paraphrase sure. one, one of my friends i'd say i i never anticipated finding such revolutionary insights into the pre-columbian america so in short mm. the book shows that based on genetics the the peoples of the americas underwent multiple settlings there were multiple migrations from eurasia in the pre-columbian world so much so that um it, it, it looks like the later migrations, the later peoples replaced those who came before. So I learned next to nothing about the pre-Columbian Americas growing up, and so never in my wildest dreams did I think that I'd one day be making discoveries that rewrite this history in, in a dramatic way. Also being able to find the genealogical echo of Genesis 10, Noah, his three boys, the details of Genesis 10, Shem's genealogy going down six generations, uh, Ham's going down four, these sorts of things. I don't think I anticipated that either. In fact, that discovery was made partway through this process. And then just to be able to see the echo of human history pop out of our DNA over and over again is, is just remarkable and, and, and sets the stage for all sorts of research going forward. So there have just been multiple aspects that, that have sort of taken me aback Mm. and were things I didn't anticipate to find, but have been a a really thrilling ride to see this pop out over and over again. 
Now, just uh, for clarity and for the listeners' sake, uh, pre-Columbian, so uh, Columbus sailed the ocean in 1492, right? Uh, so the discovery of the of the Americas in 1492 by by uh, uh, Europe, or so to speak. Well, that's what we're talking about. So what happened before he ever sailed is, the, is really the question. And I have to say, that was one of the most fascinating aspects of your work was, because I love history, I, I'm a big history uh, geek, and I like to study uh, uh, all of these stories, and to re-look at American history from a new perspective, I found that utterly fascinating. You know, to see that these immigrations of peoples coming into the continent well before Europeans uh, and the way that we know them, and then, you know, sort of pushing out existing peoples, and what did that look like? And that didn't happen all that long ago. Again, going back to the scale of time, that blew my mind. I mean, even as, like, how like what was the soonest that a peoples came into the Americas that that not related to Spain or anything like that? What was how far back are we talking here? Yeah, so if we use the the 1492 arrival of Columbus and Europeans as the anchor point, if you go back just a few centuries prior to that, around 1000 A.D., there was another group that came over from not from Europe but from Eurasia, probably the Siberia, Central Asia area. About 1000 A.D., this could have been, let's say, the um, the Athabascan people. So you think today of the Navajos, the Apaches. They belong to a, a language grouping called the Athabascans, that are primarily found up in northern Canada, Alaska. This may have been their migration. Prior to that, you have another another migration of peoples in the AD 300s to 600s. This is an era of history, and, and as a, just as a side note here, this is one of the most exciting aspects to me of this study. This is an era of human history where we know there have been something was stirring in Central Asia. You've got the Huns migrating into the Roman Empire, into Europe, to overthrowing them. You've got in, in, in the East, you've got the Han Dynasty falling, then you've got other Central Asians migrating in. It's around that exact same time that another group migrates into the Americas, again, connected to this, this, this what's called, uh, I guess, mainstream history, the, the Volkerwanderung, a German word meaning the great wandering of peoples, Another group comes over, and shortly thereafter, you see the downfall of the, the classic era civilization in the Americas, the Mayans. And we don't yet have genetic data to know who the Mayans came from, but that would have been a separate settling. And perhaps even a fourth settling would have been the Olmecs, one of the cradles of civilizations. There's, there, there have been multiple migrations from Asia over into the Americas. And what's perhaps even more exciting to me is you have native accounts like the Delaware Indian account, the Choctaw Chickasaw accounts that are consistent with this genetic history. And in fact, one of the results of the book coming out and us releasing some videos, I've had Native Americans contact me. We've got a Native American study group going on right now, a couple of Navajos, uh, Cree, Yupik in Alaska, Cherokee, saying we want to dig into this more, synthesize our accounts of what we've said, who we come from, when we come from, along with the genetics to basically come up with a comprehensive step-by-step history for the Americas before Columbus. This is, again, something I, I never had in school. I feel like most people who grew up in the United States don't have in school. This is something we're, we're breaking wide open. That is so fascinating to think that uh, we could trace all of that back through, as you said, through the, the father's DNA, and that, that really opens up uh, a lot of implications. You know, it really, it really uh, proves the, uh, the biblical timeline here. But I have a question here from one of our listeners he says he read a book many years ago that, uh, and in this book he says that uh, that we were descended from two people, obviously uh, with Adam and Eve. And the author stated that uh, within 12 generations that we would have varied melanin levels that we see today. Is that indeed the case, is his question. What do you say, uh, Dr. Jensen? I'd say it's even sooner than that. The The genetic model I've been advancing probably since about 2016 is, 
if you look at our DNA, not just the male DNA, not just the Y chromosome, not just the female inherited DNA, the mitochondrial DNA, but the, the, the vast majority of our DNA that we get from both parents, and you try to dial that clock backwards, what it seems to be consistent with is that God created Adam and Eve with a whole lot of genetic diversity from the start. So hmm. I have two versions of my DNA because I have two parents. They're not brother, sister. They have, they have different DNA. So my DNA is a mix of my parents. My, my facial features look like a mix of my parents. All of us basically have the same story. And I'm arguing that if you dial that DNA back to the beginning, you arrive at a conclusion that Adam and Eve also have, in a sense, the appearance of parents, that God gives Adam two different versions of his DNA. Eve is created from his side, and, and she has two different versions of her DNA. And so from the beginning, they have the capacity to produce a whole diversity of peoples from the start, what we'd call Asian, African, European, red, yellow, black, and white. They would have a whole diversity of offspring right away, the ability to be fruitful and multiply and, and, and have a whole spectrum of, of peoples. This would have been normal, I, I argue, mm. back in their time, back in the days of Noah as well, and only after Babel, when God comes in and confuses their languages, forces them to spread out, and they, they, they migrate according to language group, do, do some of these so-called racial and ethnic features begin to coalesce around a common theme, and you have a, sort of an Asian appearance, an African appearance, these sorts of things. But the capacity for racial change to occur in the generational blink of an eye still exists to this day, and would have been present from the very beginning. Yeah, amen. That's another one of those things that I thought was just utterly fascinating about the book of how linked we are, how not different we are to each other on a DNA level. And But today, we, we uh, especially in the news, there's so much talk about racism and this and that, and there's only one race, it's the human race. Um, uh, let me ask you this, because we're, we're getting down to the clock here. Uh, so when you layered on top of your study of DNA the, the biblical timeline, uh, the genealogies found in Genesis post-Noah, uh, and then, of course, the, your, your layered another top, which was the big historical events, the Huns, the, uh, the Ottoman Turks, and how this sort of correlated to the data, the Indian accounts, that you, the Native American Indian accounts that you referenced. I find that utterly fascinating. But uh, Shimham and Japheth, can you summarize for us really quickly, what were their descendants' migration, and, ge and generally speaking, where did the descendants of, uh, of Shem, Ham, and Japheth end up? I'd say the short answer is it's all extremely messy. Where there's <laughs> been multiple migrations all throughout history, and it's, 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 it's very difficult to predict what someone's history is if they come to you. Hey, hey I'm, a, I'm a Norwegian. Hey, I'm a, of Turkish descent. Hey, I'm of Iranian descent or of Chinese descent. What's my history? I'll say, well, it, it's, it's rather messy because humans have been migrating all throughout their history. So just as a general rule, though, I'd say that the descendants of Japheth, one of the main genealogical echoes we have, is of the early European peoples. However, this is a good example, again, of the messiness of history. The vast majority of Europeans today, or people of European descent, are not from Japheth, but likely from Shem, down through his uh, offspring, or I should say, I forget if it's his great-greater, one of those descendants, Jake, uh, Jockton and his sons. Most Europeans come from one of Jockton's sons. This is the... Uh, the technical term is haplogroup R1B, R1A, but basically they're migrants from Central Asia. They came into Europe around the Middle Ages and for whatever reason have simply reproduced more, had more male offspring. And so I'm of Central Asian descent. I've, I've had my Y chromosome tested. The vast majority of Western Europeans, Eastern Europeans all come from recent Central Asian migrants via Shem, not through Japheth. And this sort of population movement, replacement, 
differential reproduction. This is the rule wherever you go in the globe. And so you want to find out what your history is, the Y chromosome, and this, is, this applies to ladies too. If they find a male relative, their father, their brother, some sort of uh, male relative, they can find their sort of history as well. So wherever you go in the globe, it's, it's a messy history. I, can, I forgot to mention Ham here as well. Hmm. Many of his offspring are the sub-Saharan Africans, but it's not just that. You have, you have Siberians who are from Ham. You have um, Japanese who are from Ham. So th- there's all sorts of unpredictability all over the globe, all over the map, yet it's consistent with what the scriptures say about the descendants of these three boys. And this sort of unity is is really exciting to me and also sets the stage for the discovery of even more lineages going forward into the future. We're down to about a minute now. Uh, I've seen uh, headlines and studies in the news in the past few years that uh, DNA uh, studies have suggested we go back to to one man, but he was not the original. It goes even further. We would call that Noah and Adam. What do the secular uh, studies, what do the secular scientists believe about this information? They would say that there was never a point in human history when the population was just two people. They'd say, yes, the Y chromosome Adam individual is this, this, this one guy that all these lineages go back to, but he was not the only man alive. There were other, other men who were his contemporaries. They just didn't leave offspring whose genealogy descends to this day. So there's a very explicit denial of Adam and Eve, of Noah and his family. In the mainstream literature, there's many theistic evolutionists, people who believe God used evolution, who were making this prominent. So the contradiction between mainstream science and the biblical record grows stronger each year, and I'd say is all the more relevant to those who hold the scriptures as true. This is, this is what genetics brings to the table. It's not something we've seen in times past, but this is the type of argument that's now being advanced. And I would say the genetic data actually are consistent with scriptures. They're not consistent with mainstream science, but they are consistent with what God has revealed in the scriptures. And this, this gives great reassurance to those who hold to it as true. How much do we know based on, like, the, we have just a sliver of the DNA evidence? We still have a lot more to go, I imagine? I'd say about 99% of the people on the globe still have not taken a DNA test, but the evidence that we do have is strongly consistent with what the Bible says. All right. The book is called Traced Human DNA's Big Surprise. I recommend it. You should check it out. Dr. Nathaniel Jensen, God bless you. God love you. Have a great day, sir. Thank you. All right. That's going to do it for hour number one. Thank you for joining us. We enjoyed that. If you can and are able to, join us in the next hour. David L. Gray will be on to talk about Nancy Pelosi receiving communion and the Pope's new encyclical, his letter. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Among the many arguments relativists give to prove their worldview, one is that moral beliefs change. For example, they might say, we used to believe slavery was okay, but now we don't. If there were moral absolutes, well then moral beliefs wouldn't change. How do we respond? Well, we can ask the relativists if we've morally progressed in changing our country's slavery laws. Assuming they say yes, we can point out the fact that progress implies an objective moral standard that our society better conforms to today than it did 150 plus years ago. But if there is an objective moral standard that we've progressed toward, well then morality is not relative. So the relativist either has to give up on the idea that we've progressed morally in order to keep relativism, or reject relativism to keep the idea of moral progress. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com.
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question. Is the very contemporary and popular idea that a faith alone salvation, which occurs by repenting of sins and asking Jesus in one's heart, sufficient enough to warrant heaven upon death? No, it sure is not. You see, the 21st century evangelical says, just follow the Romans road, which is four verses snatched out of the book of Romans. And when followed, heaven's promised. That, my friends, is presumptuous. This concept dumbs down the holy value of salvation. So here's your toolbox for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Gospels, nor the Epistles, nor the Apostolic and Early Church Fathers ever wrote anything like this mechanical approach to obtaining heaven. Number two, the marriage experience. After wrongdoing and temporary departure from your family, does a simple one-time, hey, I'm sorry, honey, bring you back into the family? No. Thirdly, the Catholic Church teaches water baptism, loving God and neighbor, which is displayed by consistent acts of charity while maintaining a perseverant hope of heaven is the surest way to God's eternal presence. This is Steve Gleason with Catholic Questions Live. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox. Goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT and get signed up today. Hi, I'm Jenny Granero from the St. Cecilia Catholic Community. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. We just wrapped up a, a fascinating conversation about DNA and what DNA has to say about who we are as a people. Uh, the book was called Traced Human DNA's Big Surprise. The guest was Dr. Nathaniel Jeanson. If you haven't, if you weren't able to tune in the last hour, let me encourage you to uh, check out the podcast of today's program when it becomes available in about an hour from now. Really fascinating conversation. You know, in a world that wants us to, to be divided by the color of our skin, the shape of our eyelids, or texture of our hair, turns out the DNA has a different different uh, story to tell about who we are as people, and that uh, we're way more closely related than the, the headlines would suggest. And of course, I found that the time scale so fascinating, the pre-Columbus history of, of the Americas, just utterly fascinating. It's a great book. But I will say this. Let me warn you about this, about Traced. There's a lot of very technical information in there, technical DNA-like language, haplogroups and R1B1B1 and all that other stuff. I, like I, a lot of that stuff was just like very hard for me to wrap my tiny little pea brain around. Uh, but you know, it's it's worth the effort to to sit through it and go through it. I went through the audiobook, and that way I could listen at like 1.5 the speed, and that really helped. But there are sections in there that'll blow your mind. Really, really good. Traced is the book, so check that out. Again, you'll be able to find the uh, the podcast on our website, which is also a great place to sign up for our CDT Insider email list, because today's the day where I harass your inbox, praise be to God. And every week I look for something cool to send you, something special. This week I have something special in regards to St. Padre Pio. It's going to be great entertainment. The whole family can watch, or listen rather, and it's going to be wonderful. You're going to enjoy it. And you can get that in your inbox this afternoon, but you have to do you do have to sign up to the list. There's a couple of ways you can do that. Go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash cdt. And look for the CDT Insider email list. Sign up there. Uh, we will send you as a thank you right in your inbox right away. A little talk. It's about 30 minutes, I think, 
from Father Bill Casey of the Fathers of Mercy on the State of the Union of the Church. Very powerful talk. Father Casey is a wonderful pastor and preacher, and you're going to enjoy that. So if you if you sign up today, you'll get it in uh, somewhere around noontime central, maybe one eastern, somewhere around there. If you sign up tomorrow, you'll get it on Sunday, because I always resend on Sunday for anybody signing up over the weekend. So go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt and uh, look for the CDT Insider email list. Uh, praise be to God. Wasn't that fascinating, Rudy? It was so awesome. You know, I'm I'm on the fence on all this stuff. You know, uh, we we kind of get drilled into our heads. Evolution, evolution. This the world is uh, millions and millions of years. Yeah. And you just accept it as a young kid and mm-hmm. going into public school, and it's just the older I get, the more I realized. I don't know. It's just do we really fit into that timeline? And mm. so it's fascinating to have these conversations. And I, I just talked to Dr. Jeanson, and I said, you know, this is such an important conversation to have because technically you can't have it in the public forum anywhere because people dismiss it. They're very dismissive of the topic. So yeah, I enjoy I enjoy talking about it and, and trying to, to reason through all of this. And really, I, I just enjoy uh, the biblical perspective, right? I mean, how do we fit into to the, the biblical chronology that we that we know is is true? So... It's, uh, it's a fascinating conversation. Yes, sure. and that it really blew my mind how he does. Le- he starts with just the the, the technical part of DNA. Mm-hmm. You know, just he doesn't he's just arguing based on what DNA says. This is what DNA is saying. You know, uh, so a big portion of the book is just that. This is what DNA study shows us. And then he goes, now let's let's layer something on top. Let's let's look at uh, major historical events that we have records for, mm-hmm. and to see how this stuff lines up. Oh, look, you know the Huns pushing the the Goths westward. Uh, well, that kind of matches what we're seeing in the DNA, uh, or the the Ottoman Turks invading and occupying portions of Europe for 700 years, mm-hmm. which is why most Spaniards today have have that DNA. Uh, yes, exactly. We were having this conversation the other day yeah. uh, off of air, but like, you know, I have Spanish ancestry, and mm-hmm. how did I get a beard? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> probably from the autumn. You're welcome, by the way. Thank you. you know, you're welcome. <laughs> beard goals, you know what As I'm saying? As I kick up my feet on my ottoman. Yeah, and, oh, but, but modern world, the modern world wants to sift us by the color of our skin as mm-hmm. though that is the identifying thing, and in reality, DNA tells a different story. So I find it utterly fascinating uh, but then, of course, you look at the time scale issue, and you're like, "Wow, this blows my mind how it matches the genealogies and and all of that so yeah. fascinating stuff." Speaking of fascinating, uh, David L. Gray is joining us again. Um, uh, truly, the most fascinating man in the world. Praise be to God. Good morning to you, David. Good morning, Joe, Adrian, and Rudy. How you guys doing? Good morning. Praise be to God. We are live, and that counts. How are you? I'm doing well. It's an exciting um, day, exciting time to be on with you today. I'm excited to get our conversation going, sir. Well, yesterday was a big news day in the Catholic world. Uh, of course, we're all still discussing a, the overturning of Roe v. Wade here in America. Uh, apparently, His Holiness Pope Francis isn't discussing that. He's not, so far as I know, directly mentioned anything about the overturning of uh, uh, Roe v. Wade. And then, of course, uh, Nancy Pelosi turned up in the Vatican yesterday, surprising many of us. Like, why is she there? What is she doing? And she receives not only a blessing at a Mass at the Vatican, but then she receives communion at a Mass at the Vatican. Uh, what are we to make of this, David O'Gray? Yeah, I saw a lot of that. You know, that apparently that was the big news that's coming across um, in, in the Catholic sphere and even mainstream news that hit 
hit yesterday and still today. But I thought the biggest story that people missed was that the fact that when Nancy Pelosi, when she was in the communion line, Joe, she actually bumped the kid out of the way. <laughs> and, and nobody, Did nobody she really? even said Did she really? anything oh, about that. I know, I know she Again? elbowed that little girl the other day. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nobody's talking about this one, huh? <laughs> no, no, but, here, but no, here's the thing. I think, you know, I, I read a lot of, in, in, in the Kappa sphere and even the mainstream um, sphere, you know, I read a lot of articles. And this is the, the unfortunate thing that everyone is getting wrong. When Archbishop Salvatore Corleone gave Nancy Pelosi that interdict saying that she could not receive Holy Communion, everyone's saying, oh, she cannot receive it in her diocese of San Francisco. But I just want to just recap. I know you, you covered this on the show, but I just want to recap just real quick what it does say. It tells her you are not to present yourself for Holy Communion. And should you do so, you are not admitted to, admitted to Holy Communion until such time you have publicly repudiated your advocacy for legitimacy of abortion and confess and receive absolution of his grave sin and a sacrament of penance. Nowhere does this interdict say, Joe, that you know, it's just local. It's just San Francisco. No, this is her interdict global. It's for her. It's not for diocese or diocese or other bishops or priests. It's for her. It's just like when I receive an interdict after I receive my annulment, the bishop said, I cannot, re- I cannot receive the sacrament of holy matrimony again until I went through counseling. Um, and the bishop knew I was getting married outside of our diocese, but um, the interdict was for me. Even though I was getting married outside of the diocese, I still had to complete those those um, marriage prep classes. So, um, and so this is what everyone's getting wrong, and this is what's deeply, gravely immoral about what's going on. That Nancy is Pelosi just spitting in the face of her bishop. Yeah, um, she's being obstinate. She continues this path of just wanting to do whatever Nancy wants to do in spite of what the church teaches. And, and this is this is something I just I just sense that um, since. Arch, the archbishop has put his foot into this. Um, now, it, it just sense that he's going to have to escalate. He's already went in, right? Um, and so um, she continues down this path, and I think he just really needs to es- escalate to a canonical excommunication at this point for, her, for the salvation of her soul. I agree. You know, we were talking about that when it first came out, you know, whether it was a, a formal excommunication and the verbiage, it didn't reflect that. So I agree with you. I think it's time to to formally excommunicate her. And it, I mean, it's already a grave scandal. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, uh, this this um, this overturning of Roe versus Wade, you know, it's it's so momentous. It's such a, a huge event in history, really. And uh, it seems like we haven't really heard anything from the Vatican regarding this overturning of Roe versus Wade. I know there was the Pontifical Academy of Life. They made a statement on it, uh, kind of a weak statement. But the Pope himself hasn't said anything. Now, there's there's a structure for for the way that uh, the the Pontiff, Supreme Pontiff, uh, deals with uh, you know certain delegates that visit him. Like for example, there's procedures if they take a picture together. The Pope usually doesn't smile. And typically, the Pope doesn't uh, comment on anything political or anything like that. However, the Pope has commented on migration, which, you know, there was a big story on Monday. Where, horrible one, yeah. Yeah, a bunch of migrants died in a, a tractor trailer. Um, but he hasn't really made a statement on Roe versus Wade. Why do you think that is? You know, Pope Francis, he tends to comment on things that... Um, he wants to, right? Um, 
you know, we could say, well, well, if this is a political issue, for some reason people think child murder is a political issue, but, you know, we can say, oh, this is a political issue that's going on in the United States. You know, he, he doesn't want to weigh in. But as you as you said, Rudy, at, at other points in times when it, it deals with policy, he does have a history of saying something either implicitly or explicitly. Here, in this case, he hasn't said really much implicitly or ex- definitely not explicitly concerning this issue. And yes, um, legalized abortion has been it's been a law of this country for 50 years, half a century. Mm-hmm. This is momentous. Like you said, this is a game changer. More babies' lives are being saved right now at this moment because of this, this change in the trajectory of where this country is on a, on a life question. And as strong and as strong as statements that the Pope Francis has made about child murder, you know, he's called it like a hitman um, um, killing um, a, a, a person. You know, he, he's made some strong statements about child murder, but here he's silent um, when the trajectory completely has changed and the laws of this country, at least in a lot of states, are more in line with where the Catholic Church teaches on the sanctity and dignity of human life. So it's, 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 an, it's, again, it's one of those unfortunate things that it has a scratch in our head. Yeah, for sure. Let me, uh, let me, uh, I got a comment on one of my feeds uh, this morning, a comment. Uh, this is a very typical response from Catholics. I see it all the time. Priests should not be in, use the Eucharist in political ways. They're using the Eucharist as a political hostage, and they should just give out communion. What should we say to that? Yeah, the, the idea that the Holy Eucharist is being weaponized, right? Right. <laughs> um, you know, yes. You know, I would say, yes, the Holy Eucharist is weaponized. It's Jesus Christ um, who has come to take away sins from the world. And so it is for our, it's for, it's, the Holy Eucharist is medicinal in that sense. So um, priests should not just be giving away, you know, we want to use this term, just be giving away Jesus Christ um, who is completely holy into the soul, into the body of people who are in grave sin. Sin and holiness, um, they're incompatible. And so we have to be in a state of um, without grave sin to receive that which is holy because it be harmful for us. So no one asks a surgeon mm. to um, complete a surgery on someone whose body um, his, is not prepared for surgery. If you go in for surgery for whatever issue and your physician sees, oh, if I complete this surgery, it's going to harm them. So um, I have to take care of this other issue that they're having first, and then I can come in and complete the surgery. It's the same with the Holy Eucharist. Jesus um, cannot just come in into a person's body and soul who is not in the condition or prepared to receive him. They need some other medicinal care, namely yeah. the sacraments of penance and reconciliation. So it is good for the priest to withdraw from those situations and first take care of their patient in other mm-hmm. ways before they give them um, the true healing that they need for their soul. I mean, that's why Adam and Eve weren't allowed to stay in the garden after their sin. They were they were escorted out and guarded the, the, the fiery sword, and the angel guarded the way. Uh, then, of course, the high priest couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. If he was in a state of sin, he would die. They had a rope tied around his foot to drag his dead body out just in case. Uh, so it makes sense, uh, but uh, I think a lot of Catholics just don't, don't know theology or their faith, and and they buy the world's uh, reflection on this. But uh, with the, just a few seconds left on the clock here, David O'Gray, great scandal has been committed by watching Nancy Pelosi continue to receive communion at the Vatican. How should Catholics respond? you got about 30 seconds. Um, I think we should keep just mind our, you know, take care of our own 
um, salvation in that regard, but also be aware of what's going on in the church. We can't be overly concerned about, um, you know, um, scandal in, in that sense, because, you know, we still have to take care of our own salvation, but we should be aware, we should be concerned, and we should write letters and, and make more people aware of we just, all of us, should need to be better, ambitiously take better care of our salvation. Amen. Praise be to God. David O. Gray, thank you for your time. We always enjoy having you on. We'll see you next week. Uh, but, dear listener, coming up next is Fear and Trembling, a Catholic trivia game show with prizes at stake, and you could win. But you do have to be our caller at 877-757-9424. Call right now. 877-757-9424. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard the expression, free love? Do you know what it means? It means false love. True love does not want to be free. It wants to bind itself. It wants to give everything and forever. It wants to make a vow, a promise that it will keep. G.K. Chesterton says the man who makes a vow makes an appointment with himself at some distant time or place. The question is, will he keep the vow? That's the adventure. The perils and the punishment must be real. If I bet, I must be made to pay, or there's no poetry in betting. If I challenge, I must be made to fight, or there's no poetry in challenging. And if I vow to be faithful, I must be cursed when I'm unfaithful, or there's no fun in vowing. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Do you really believe in a secret catching away of the church called the rapture? The pages of your Bible are empty of that type of talk. So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, solid biblical doctrine is time-tested. This rapture idea got its wheels rolling by John Darby in about 1830. I mean, have you heard of a third coming? You know you haven't. Secondly, God's nature. There's no reasonable premise in Scripture, let alone in moral reasoning, for the results of a rapture scenario such as this. A Christian pilot is yanked, raptured, out of his jet, while scores of the remaining passengers who are not Christians violently crash to their death. Meanwhile, said pilot is basking in the presence of God. This is absurd, and believe me, this is preached day in and day out. Thirdly, bad fruit. The preacher at your church says, Tonight, don't you be left in that pew alone, while that person next to you gets raptured straight up into heaven. That, my friend, is folly with no foundation. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and Fear and Trembling, the Catholic Trivia Game Show, where prizes are involved, but there are secrets and agendas here, but what we need most is a phone call. Phone lines are open and waiting for your call. If you would like to play the game, now is a great chance to do that at 877-757-9424. Adrian Fonseca standing by to take your call at 877-757-9424. Call right now. 877-757-9424. That's 877-757-9424. All right, so there are some things we do here. We like to keep them secrets. 
So you're not allowed to tell anybody, especially not Project Veritas, because they will just dime us out. You know what I'm saying? You so don't plug do your ears right now. Yeah, like don't don't be don't record <laughs> this. To, just keep it between us. But number one, we like to teach the faith, and we do look for teachable moments in the questions. Praise be to God. And our callers, uh, you know what? They don't have to know these answers. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But they are amazing. Okay, and we laugh with them, and sometimes we even cry with them. Mostly laugh. We like that. <laughs> Praise be to God. Cry, crying is not as good as laughing. But nonetheless, uh, we look for teachable moments. They learn stuff, and we give out prizes, which means it's a winner for everybody involved, right? So if you haven't played before, let me encourage you. Call now. It's easy. 877-757-9424. I have three Catholic trivia questions in front of me. But the callers, they don't even need to know any of these answers and could still win our game because I won't be asking them these trivia questions. I'm going to ask Rudy. I'm going to ask Adrian. One of them will give me a correct answer. The other will give me an incorrect answer. And the caller will then have 15 seconds on the clock to make a decision. Whomst do they trust more, Rudy or Adrian? And every correct answer will go into the coffee cup of divine providence. But we do need a caller on the line to play the game. That phone number is 877-757-9424. Call right now. Be our first caller. You get to play our game at 877-757-9424. Rudy, what could they win? (laughs) Praise be to God. So if you're looking at uh, the the stream that we... We uh, stream the radio program onto from YouTube or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Odyssey or any of those other places, Rumble, for example. Oh, yeah. You can see the actual coffee cup of Divine Providence. It's actually the original? An, an item, the original one. It's actually an item. It's not something we, we made up for the radio. It's here and in I, my hand. I hear if you put your ear to it, you can hear the angels singing. Yeah, but uh, somebody, uh, somebody else told me you can hear us talking. Really? So like like I said, the angel singing. <laughs> the sweet voice. <laughs> well, in any case, this week we're going to be giving away a replica of that coffee cup of divine providence. And uh, it's scientifically proven, Joe, that oh, if yeah. you drink your coffee from here, yeah. it's going to taste 45% better. 45%? Meaning that um, this morning yeah. I was out of my regular coffee beans. I see. Uh, so I had to drink freeze-dried you, coffee. It just didn't it would taste not half bad. Okay, I see where you're going. So you can so, buy cheap coffee because of inflation. And it'll, yeah, exactly. And make it taste normal Joe, by just I like drinking where your it head's from at. one of our cups. Yes, exactly. Got it. This Not is only an inflation that, killer. But it's going to be autographed by yours truly and all of us here in the Praise studio. Praise be to God. Plus, we'll sweeten the pot with extra goodies mm-hmm. as well. So, uh, all right. Sounds like a deal. Let's go to the phones and uh, see who our contestant is today. Good morning to you, Don. Good morning. Praise be to God, Don. Uh, is this... Wait, hold on. I think I recognize the voice. This is Blabbermouth Don. This is the guy who's <laughs> yes, been diamond us out, sharing all of our secrets, yeah. Don. Yes, yes. I've many hours in confession, uh, trying to repent for that. But that's, How that's, do you that's, live that's with yourself, am, so. Don? On WikiLeaks. Just traitor. Just sharing all my secrets to the whole wide world. Don, where are you from? Remind us. Greenville, Texas. Praise be to God for Greenville, Texas. Don, how you been? I've uh, been, been, been doing well, been living the dream, of course, you know, and nice. nightmares are dreams, too. <laughs> nightmares are dreams as well. Well said. I had a nightmare this morning at the gas pump, for, for instance. Ooh, oh, <laughs> I, I got my loan finally approved. I'll fill up Friday. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was odd when the banker actually sets up next to the gas pump and offers you terms. I thought Yikes. that was interesting. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Praise be to God, Don. I know you know how this works. It's uh, good to hear you 
your voice again. Glad to have you back on the show. But just so you know, Rudy does not have a tie on today. Oh boy. So interpret that however you wish. <laughs> there is a correlation. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably he's not right. Well, Don, I just don't have a tie that matches a pattern, you know? I can't mm. do two patterns. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's the reason. Right. Right. All right, we're going to go to Rudy first, as is our custom, with probably the hardest question of the day. Oh, boy. Easily the hardest question of we're the day. In my reversing opinion, anyway. it. Starting off yep. hard. Yep. Going. Okay, going. Good morning easy. to you, Rudy. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready. Praise be to God. Are you sure? I'm ready. Um, are you sure? Is there an echo in here? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, here we go. What treaty was made in the year 1122 between Pope Callistus II and Emperor Henry V ending lay investiture? That was a good year, 1122, was and it? that would be the Concordat of Worms. So um, doesn't sound very tasty. Yeah, well, it had to do with. Uh, Are they all fishermen? They're just <laughs> like you know their bait or what? You know, the they were they were just making everybody priests, and the church was like, "Whoa, look, man, we got standards here. Hang on there. <laughs> okay, hang on there. Okay, so, okay, all right. Concordat so, of worms. Concordat of worms. You say. Mm-hmm. All right, Adrian. I know you are an expert in church history. Writing uh, several volumes on the subject, I hear. I've uh, written at least, mm-hmm. at least. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've Can you answer least. for me then what treaty was made in the year 1122 between mm. Pope Callistus II and Emperor Henry V mm. ending lay investiture? Yes. That would be the concordant of the minor orders. Really? Yep. Huh. The concordant of the minor orders. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yep. Well, Don, uh, you have choices here. Um, what uh, what was that called, that treaty? Was it the Concordant of Minor Orders, as Adrian seems to suggest, or was it the Concordant of Worms, as Rudy is saying? 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Don in Greenville, what say you? Well, between Minor Orders and Worms, I'm going with Adrian. Minor Orders. No, 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 no. No, 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 uh, uh, totally unrelated. To unrelated to work. Totally unrelated. Uh, Rudy is not wearing a tie. Just saying. Okay. Putting to- it out totally there. unrelated not to Lombricina, which is a scientific yeah. name for worms. Yeah. So fascinating fact, it is the concordant of worms is the correct answer. Worms. Lay investiture is when the state decides uh, bishops, for instance, uh, versus the church. The st- you know, and it was totally put to bed un- until, of course, the Sino deal in China, and then now China's doing Yikes. it. But anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> worms in the location. Yeah. Okay. Got it. All right. Here worms we go. S- okay. Second question. We're going to get you in there. We're going to get you in there with this one. I promise. All right, we're going to go to Adrian. Adrian, what is the fourth of the six precepts in the church in the United States? The fourth of the six precepts of the church. That is to receive the Blessed Sacrament during the Easter season, which means if you didn't receive communion during the Easter season, you've got to go to confession. Okay. Okay. Just saying. Say, so receive the Blessed Sacrament during the Easter season. Yep. Sounds reasonable. Uh, Rudy, I'm curious. What are you going to say? What is the fourth of the sixth precept? Fourth of the six precepts in the. Uh, well, let's start over. What is the fourth <laughs> of the six precepts of the church in the United States? That's going to be to tithe for the needs of the church. Oh, I see. Now, that doesn't mean you got to pay to Peter's Pence. 
No. Could tie to anything he's, that supports. He's, he's got to ante up the mission of the church. Ante up. Exactly. That's your that's your answer. That's true. Ante up. Okay. Hmm. Don. Open up them coffers. Don is the fourth of the six to ante up. Your tithe, as Rudy is suggesting, or is it to receive the Blessed Sacrament during the season of Easter? 15 seconds. What say you, Don? I'm going with Adrian again. Very risky. (laughs) (laughs) Well played, sir. Well played. Well played. Of course, it is to receive the Blessed Sacrament during the season of Easter. You are in the cup, Don. Congratulations. Well played, sir. Thank you. All right. Uh, Next question. Uh, Right at the middle, I'd say, as far as the difficulty factor. But we're going to go back to Rudy on this one. Rudy, Mm -hmm. are you ready for this? Yes. Still not wearing a tie. Just wanted to mention that. He didn't Uh, take it off and put one on? Uh Uh-uh. Oh, okay. Is constancy one of the fruits of the Holy Ghost, sir? Is constancy... Well, no. It's not. No? Whether you're dependable or not has nothing to do with the fruits of the Holy Ghost. Really? Yep. Huh. Believe it or not. Okay. Okay. Go figure it I wonder what Adrian's going to say. Adrian, can you tell me, is constancy one of the fruits of the Holy Ghost? He told me, believe it or not, and I don't believe it. I'm going to say yes. Of course, Mm -hmm. constancy Mm -hmm. is a fruit of the Holy Ghost. Of course it is? Of course Uh, it is. That's your answer? Of course. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Believe it. When you said believe it or not, I had flashbacks to a television show in the 80s. Okay. Of a superhero. What's the 80s? Uh, We'll have to talk about it later. All right, Don. Is constancy one of the fruits of the Holy Ghost? Adrian says, of course. But Rudy says, no, has nothing to do with the fruits. 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Don in Greenville, what say you? I'm going with an all Adrian. No. It's over. It's over. Don, I feel like I let you down. I'm just, I'm, I, I think I'm going to blame Joe for this. It's all Joe's fault. Mea culpa. Man, Don, I, I'm going to put you in anyway. If only I would have it's, said hey, Rudy is not wearing a tie today. If only I had missed I'm just, yeah. just going to put you in anyway. I'm, you're in for two. You're in for I'm, <laughs> I'm and Rudy over the tie. <laughs> Someone's got to be keeping track and correlating this data. I'm just saying. Don, praise be to God. Thanks for laughing with us, having a good time. It's good to hear you back on the program today. Thank you all. Have a great day, Don, whatever you're doing. We're going to be praying for you. We're going to put you on hold. But uh, if you, dear listener, can join us in the after show, we'd love to know your thoughts on the stories we covered. DNA, Nancy Pelosi, and all the rest. We may even talk about the Pope's new letter. All of that coming up in the after show. Go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt for the live feeds. for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas.
Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate the memorial of the first holy martyrs of the Church of Rome. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. Blessed feast of blessed martyrs, holy women, holy men, with our love and admiration, greet we your return again. Worthy deeds are theirs and wonders, worthy of the name they bore. We with joyful praise and singing honor them forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to, to Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kyrie eleison. Christe eleison. Christe eleison. Let us pray. O God, who consecrated the abundant first fruits of the Roman Church by the blood of the martyrs, Grant, we pray, that with firm courage we may together draw strength from so great a struggle and ever rejoice at the triumph of faithful love. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of the prophet Amos. Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos has conspired against you here within Israel. The country cannot endure all of his words. For this is what Amos says, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be exiled from its land. To Amos, Amaziah said, Off with you, visionary, flee to the land of Judah. There, earn your bread by prophesying, but never again prophesy in Bethel, for it is a king's sanctuary and a royal temple. Amos answered Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor have I belonged to a company of prophets. I was a shepherd and a dresser of sycamores. 
the Lord took me from following the flock and said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now hear the word of the Lord. You say, prophesy not against Israel. Preach not against the house of Isaac. Now thus says the Lord, Your wife shall be made a harlot in the city, and your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by a measuring line, and you yourself shall die in an unclean land. Israel shall be exiled far from its land. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The judgments of the Lord are true, and all of them are just. The judgments of the Lord are true, and all of them are just. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The decree of the Lord is trustworthy, giving wisdom to the simple. The judgments of the Lord are true, and all of them are just. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eye. The judgments of the Lord are true, and all of them are just. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true, all of them just. The judgments of the Lord are true, and all of them are just. They are more precious than gold, than a heap of purest gold, sweeter also than syrup or honey from the comb. The judgments of the Lord are true, and all of them are just. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. After entering a boat, Jesus made the crossing and came into his own town. And there people brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Courage, child, your sins are forgiven. At that, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Jesus knew what they were thinking and said, why do you harbor evil thoughts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your stretcher and go home. He rose and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were struck with awe and glorified God who had given such authority to men. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Today's reading of the healing of the paralytic laying on the stranger from the Gospel of Matthew also has a corollary in the Gospel of Mark. And Mark paints for us kind of this very dramatic picture of Jesus being in the midst of a crowded room and of these four friends 
opening up the thatched roof and then lowering the paralytic down into the midst of Jesus so that there can be an encounter between the paralytic and the Lord. One of the things which is striking about this gospel for me every time I hear it is always when Jesus says, or when we hear, when Jesus saw their faith. Now, normally when Jesus does a healing or forgives sins, usually you hear him say, your faith has saved you. But in this case, when it says when Jesus saw their faith. In other words, those four men who took the man and who lowered him down, it's as if their faith is credited with healing and forgiving this paralytic. I think for us it is really a beautiful reminder in a way of the importance of our own faith and of how our faith can benefit other people. In fact I'm guessing for each of us we can also say um, there have been people who have assisted us in a great way with our own faith life. Most likely probably for a lot of us starting with our own parents. I know I can honestly say in my life through absolutely no merit or no credit to myself at all. Um, I've never had a day where I've doubted in God's existence or in the Catholic faith. And I know it has nothing to do with me, but a lot of it comes from the example of my own parents to have uh, a mother who was good and was very faithful and who was really, I think, a very uh, strong, strong example of faith. And then to have a father who um, maybe didn't have quite as joyful a witness as my mother in a faith life, but who was always very faithful in terms of going to church and believing and practicing the faith. And in particular, as a man who had a great intelligence and has multiple honorary doctorates in his field of scientific research, I always grew up and thought, well, I mean, I don't think I ever thought this um, explicitly, but when I think of it now, I thought, well, if it's good enough for them, there's no way I'm going to come up with a reason why it doesn't work <laughs> or I'm not going to come up with something better that's for sure and faith is a gift from God that is for sure and each of us in a way has to make an ascent of faith but there's also no question that we are the beneficiaries of the faith of other people sometimes our parents sometimes other people who are examples of faith and that really helps in a way for the Lord to transmit the gift of faith to us in fact, we can say, you know, the formal cause of faith really comes directly from God. It's his gift. But God in his divine will also plans that we can have a role in the salvation of one another and therefore we can become kind of mediators of the content of faith. People who can provide example, people who can share the goodness of what our faith is. And in this way, we also then become participants in the work of salvation, in the work of evangelization we think of the story of the paralytic, we really see that the faith of the four men who lowered him through that thatched roof, uh, they had a living faith. They had an expectation that Jesus was really going to be able to heal their friend, and their faith was rewarded. My brothers and sisters, for us today, let us ask God for the grace that we too would be uh, shining examples of the faith by the way we live, by how we speak, that we would be people who are always willing and open to uh, transmit the content of faith, to share with people the truth of what our faith is, and most importantly, people too who would be able to share how God has worked in our own lives and how he has shared his goodness with us that we can provide personal testimony of God working in our life. And let us ask that we would always be shining examples of this and in this way become 
transmitters of the faith or participants in the gift of faith that God wills for each of us. Amen. Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, for his physical and spiritual needs. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for all bishops and government leaders, that they would be inspired by the wisdom and counsel of the Holy Spirit in their decisions. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the sick and the suffering that they would be given consolation in their faith and experience the healing touch of Jesus Christ. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our family, friends, and benefactors, for all those who have asked for our prayers, for those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio Media, and for all those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for an increase in vocations to the sacred priesthood and religious life. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the protection and safeguarding of all human life from the first moment of conception until death. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. And we pray that we would always be examples of faith and that we would participate in the work of evangelization. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. And for those intentions that we hold in our heart. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petitions and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord. Amen. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood, of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. And though this world with devils filled Should threaten to undo us We will not fear for God has willed His truth to triumph through us The Prince of Darkness grim we tremble not for him, his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure, one little word shall fell him. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name for our good and the good of all his holy church. Receive, Holy Father, the offerings we bring in commemoration of the holy martyrs, and grant that we, your servants, may be found steadfast in confessing your name through Christ our Lord. Amen.
The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just. Our duty and our salvation. Always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for you are glorified when your saints are praised. Their very sufferings are but wonders of your might. In your mercy you give ardor to their faith. To their endurance you grant firm resolve. And in their struggle, the victory is yours through Christ our Lord. Therefore, all creatures of heaven and earth sing a new song in adoration. And we with all the hosts of angels cry out, and without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Abahoth, Plenis Uncheli et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna, in You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy, and you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you, by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, save us, Savior of the world. For by your cross and resurrection, you have set us free. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection, 
and ascension into heaven. And as we look forward to a second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray upon the oblation of your church and recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself. Grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with his Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, with the first martyrs of Rome, and with all the saints on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May the sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth, with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, the order of bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family whom you have summoned before you. In your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory. Through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow in the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Precept de salutaris moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus dicere, Pater noster, qui es in celis, sancti vice tuur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panem nostrum quotidianum, da nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicud et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amahalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, 
misere re nobis, agnus dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, misere re nobis, agnus dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, Lord I, am I am not worthy, worthy that, that you should, should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you are already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The King of love, my shepherd is, whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. Where streams of living water flow, my ransomed soul he leadeth. And where the burdened pastures grow, with food celestial feedeth. Perverse and foolish oft I strayed, but yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. Let us pray. O God, who in your holy martyrs have wonderfully made known the mystery of the cross, graciously grant that drawing strength from this sacrifice, we may cling faithfully to Christ and labor in the church for the salvation of all, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For all the saints who from their labors rest, who thee by faith before the world confessed, thy name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. 
Thou wast their rock, their fortress, and their might. Thou, Lord, their captain in the well-fought fight. Thou The prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruins of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Spreading the splendor of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Hey there, if you're not a Catholic, thank you so much for listening.